Well, good morning. Let me say that again. Good morning to you. Um, if you're looking at your clock and you're nervous because I'm just now starting and it's 11, um, we're going to see what we can do to bring this in before 1.30. So... Um, <laughs> Yes, I would not change a thing. It was a wonderful service so far. Amen, the worship was wonderful. That's it, yes, yes. I've been gone for three weeks. I've missed three Sundays here at Valley Bible Church. And so I pity you guys because I'm preaching this morning, having been gone three weeks. But um, it's amazing to me how much I miss this place when I'm not able to be here. It's amazing to me. I hope you feel the same way. It looks like some of you have decided to return to the church. Um, you've gone on your vacation. Some of you are still going, as Matthew alluded to, and that's great. Um, I hope you, you get well-rested because there's lots of work, Matthew, when you get back. So um, know that. Um, I titled the sermon, Follow. Um, comes out of Matthew 4, 18, 20 through 22, and kind of picking up on the theme of what Matthew spoke last week about beautiful are the feet of one who brings good news or brings the gospel. Those are beautiful feet. And so um, Matthew and I had not even talked about our sermon preparation and I had come to him last week. I was supposed to speak last week, actually, and um, had some kind of a medical procedure done. And uh, I, my, my uh, body reacted to it rather strangely. And so you did not want to see me last week. All right. And so Matthew agreed to swap places with me. And um, matter of fact, when I went in and saw Matthew on Tuesday morning, and he saw my face, he went, whoa, what happened to you? And I'm like, yeah, you need to preach this Sunday. So we swap spots, and it actually works out well, I think. Uh, follow. What happens when you follow someone? Um, you ever follow, how many of you follow the Golden State Warriors? The rest of you that aren't following them, I don't know what is wrong with you. Um, either you're not telling the truth, you're too lazy to raise your hand or whatever, because you cannot live in the Bay Area and not know about the Golden State Warriors. But I found out when you follow something that you enjoy, you know a lot about it. It's kind of amazing how that works. And you become a fan of a winning team for sure. And with the, uh, with the Warriors, that's the case for the last four or five years. Um, so that's good. If you follow the stock market, you probably know some things about it. If you're an investor and you follow that, you probably know things about that. In this instance here, we're going to read this passage, and Christ is going to give an imperative to his disciples, his apostles. He's going to give them an imperative to four of them. He's going to call four of them in the passage. Let's read it together. Um, is that? I can't see the screen. So I hope that's behind me on the screen. If it is, you can follow there. Um, and I, unfortunately, asked them to do that in an NIV and so I happen to be reading from the NASB. That was my fault. I'm sorry. So mine will be a little bit different, but it's still very uh, much what the meaning is. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, 
casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. The follow me and I will make you fishers of men, we give that a terminology. There's an imperative that says, you must follow me. Come after me. Come with me. Come. There's an imperative that says you must do something. The Peter and Andrew had to follow him. They immediately dropped what they were doing and started to follow him. Now, I don't want you to be confused. They knew who he was. They had already been introduced to him back in chapter 1 of Matthew. They had already been baptized by John the Baptist there, and they knew who Christ was. So they would have already been what we would call converted or believing that Christ was the Messiah. So when he, was, when he asked them to follow him, they knew who they were following. It wasn't like that was the first meeting he had, although that could have happened. That is not what happened. The first meeting he had was back sooner than this, earlier in the book of Matthew. This is later on. So now he's calling them to something. He called, him, he called them to himself earlier. He called him, them to himself earlier. Now he's calling them to something else. He's calling them to do a work on his behalf. So he says, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. We call that, in our terminology, I will make you evangelistic. Evangelism, the term means to bring good news. To bring good news. So I will show you how to bring good news. I will teach you how. I notice that Christ doesn't say, follow me, and I'll make you be able to do it. No, he says, I will teach you how. I will teach you how to become Fishers of men. Now, why? Why? You, you, you should know why. Because this whole book, everything that you know about, everything in this book is about Christ. It's about him. It's presenting him. It's presenting him as a savior to the world. Amen? So in this instance, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Why? Why would he pick fishermen? They're already fishermen, so they have some understanding of how to fish. But here's what I want to tell you. The work of life-saving evangelism is the purest, truest, and perhaps the most noble work of the church. It is for sure the most essential thing we do as a church. The church, the body of Christ most of you sitting here who have placed your faith in Christ, that took place because of the church. Someone from the church, someone from the body of Christ shared Christ with you. Amen? That happened to me. That's probably happened to you. And though it may not have been in a building like this, 
that you heard the good news, that you were evangelized, but you still heard the good news from somebody who was in the body of Christ. So someone from the church more than likely is the one who told you about Christ. Think about that. You could probably say, yeah, that's true. The work of evangelism or fishing for men in this particular context, pulling them out of the sea of sin, this is the greatest work the church will ever do. If we're not evangelizing, if Christ says evangelism is no longer taking place on the earth, I believe the Father will say, son, it's time for you to go get your bride. Because we have in Scripture, when the body of Christ is completed, he'll send his son to come and get the bride. So it's a very important thing. This is the greatest, I believe it's the greatest concern of God. According to 1 John 4, we love him only because he first loved us. He first loved us in that he gave his son for us. Now, because of that, because of someone evangelizing you and you becoming a believer in Jesus Christ, now you're able to love him. But not predicated on your ability, it's on his ability. So the big concern is that you become a believer in Jesus Christ, that you be evangelized. One of the big concerns in the church is, are we being evangelistic? I have a line here that I'll use, and I'll, you'll probably hear me say it more than once. It's a line that I heard from a, a pastor called E.K. Bailey. And I believe Tim McNeil provided the tape for us on that. E.K. Bailey was an African-American pastor who received his doctorate at Dallas Theological Seminary, and I heard him preach this passage, and he said this, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And then he said these haunting words to me that are so true. If you're not fishing, you're not following. If you're not fishing today, you're not following. I'll say it again. If you're not fishing today, you are not following. Because he said, if you follow me, you will become fishers of men. Now, I asked the question earlier, why fishermen? Why did you think Christ chose fishermen? Well, I have some things here that I'll run through if I can find them because I've had to swap some things around here to make this happen a little quicker. Um, well, let me say this before I get to that reasoning. I heard this a while back. Uh, John MacArthur was speaking, and I heard him say this about evangelism. So I'll credit it to him, even though he says it, he doesn't even know where he got it from. Someone once said, evangelism is the sob of God. Evangelism is the anguished cry of Jesus as he weeps over a doomed city. Evangelism is the cry of Paul when he says, as I read, I could wish myself were a curse from Christ for my brother, my kinsman, according to the flesh. Evangelism is the heart-winning plea of Moses who said, all these people have sinned, yet 
Now, if thou wilt forgive their sins, if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of the book which thou hast written. Evangelism is the cry of John Knox, who said, give me Scotland or I die. It is the cry of Wesley, who said, the world is my parish. And this is so applicable when you have little children on the stage and parents. Evangelism is the sob of parents in the middle of the night weeping over a lost child. Evangelism. So then we get to the relationship of fishing to evangelism. This is why I think that it was so apropos that Christ called fishermen. And you may agree or disagree, and if you disagree, just keep it to yourself, please. Have you ever thought about how you could apply fishing skill to fishing for men? Good fishermen have certain qualities about them. I'm not a very good fisherman. I don't enjoy it. I don't like getting dirty with smelling fishy hands and all of that. But let's just talk about what they do. My dad and my brothers my dad, while he was alive, was a, a pretty good fisherman, and my brothers are still good fishermen, so I know a little bit about it just through them. But number one, think about this. You've you all been fishing before, I'm sure. The number one thing you need to do fishing is patience. Right? I don't know how these people throw a line out there and just sit and wait. That drives me absolutely crazy. I can't even go on a drive unless I know why we're going. Much less go fishing and just sit and wait. When anybody says to me, and I, I say it, I cannot stand fishing, I, I know it's because I'm impatient. I can't stand, cast it out, reel it in, cast it out, reel it in, cast it out, leave it there forever. And nothing, I've never caught anything hardly, so maybe that's another reason I don't really care for it. But fishermen, good ones, learn to wait. And so do we if we're good at fishing for men. You've got to be patient. You must be patient. I've told the story before of my mother praying for my middle brother, Martin, for over 30 years. And then she caught cancer, and a couple years later, she died. And about two years later, right back there, I was preaching one day, and I looked, and my brother sat right back there. You need patience. You need patience to be a good fisherman. You need patience to be a good fisherman of men and of people. Because guess what? You can't make them bite. You can't make them bite. You put the worm on the hook. You do everything you can. You can't make them bite. They'll sometimes come right up and they might be starving to death. And they'll sniff it and walk away. And they need so desperately the message. But you never know what your job is to cast the seed. Cast it. Someone else will come along and water it. And then who makes it grow? God makes it grow. That's right. So patience, I think that's the first absolute. Then secondly, and patience runs right along. They're almost the same thing to me. Good fishermen have a quality of persevering. They just stay out. It's amazing. They do it over and over and over and over again, never catching anything. You ever seen guys go out in the ocean and fish and fish and fish and fish, and they come back and you say, how'd you do? Didn't catch a thing, but we're going back out tomorrow. <laughs> I'm like, 
go down to the fish market and buy yourself a fish. Well, we didn't catch anything, but we'll go again over and over and over and over. It's called perseverance. It's called I'm gonna, I've got something that's better than anything in life to tell you about. I come fishing for men. I'm fishing for your soul. I want to rescue you. I can't do it, but I can tell you the message that says I'm going to rescue you from the sea of sin, a sea of doom. You're headed for hell. I've got a message that will change that if you'll just listen. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to have patience. I'm going to persevere in that message. The third thing fishermen have to have is courage. You get on a little boat, and I mean little compared to this bay out here, or compared to whatever body of water that you're going into, it's a small boat that you're on. The sea is so large but they'll face the sea for the cause of the fish. The cause of the fish. I promise you nothing but trouble when you witness for Christ. But you've got to be willing to face that sea for the cause of the souls of your loved ones and of people who are going to Yeah, I said that. They're going to hell. If you're here this morning, you've never placed faith in Jesus Christ. I'm afraid your destiny, if you don't accept him, is hell. And that's not a a wonderful place to be. And I don't want to hear that you say, oh, my friends will be there. Well, you won't get to see your friends there. It'll be so dark, and you'll burn but never be consumed. Oh, is it important that we become fishers of men? Will you follow him today that you might become a fisher of men? Hmm. The fourth fisherman quality that I looked at, they seem to have an eye or a sense about them for the right moment. I, I got a guy that I've known for years. He fishes out here in the bay all the time. He can tell you exactly when the warm weather comes what happens to the water and where the fish go man I just thought you went out and put your line in the water I had no idea but he's got all these things he's got an eye he's got a sense of the right moment to go fishing and you need that if you just talk to fisherman knows his stuff he'll tell you that when he'll tell you when and where so the good soul winner chooses his moment he chooses his location carefully you know at you're, if you're invited to a little child's birthday party and you're there to celebrate a birthday party, it's not always the best time to be out there with your Bible thumping and wishing. It, it, it's a good time to talk to people. It's a good time to get to know them, to set things up, to be able to talk with them. But it may not be the time to really try and close the deal. Could be. I'm not saying it isn't. God does things the way God does them. But having an eye and a feel for the right moment is critical. Fifthly, have you ever noticed that good fishermen will always tell you, stay out of sight? When I went fishing with my brother and my dad, they'd say, you don't get too near the water. Stay back in the boat. Don't let them see you. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> They're 25 feet under the water. They can see shadows. They can see this. They can say, I'm like, but in, so I'm not a fisherman. My dad and brother would absolutely love, they loved it. And like I said, they were pretty good fishermen. They would say, you, you got to stay out of the way. You, you'll frighten them away. If you don't stay out of the way. 
You can't see, you don't want him to see you. I'm like, oh boy, okay, I, I'm not made out for that stuff. I, I don't really know if that's even true or, or, or not, but it sure does give me a good analogy here. A good soul winner keeps himself out of the picture. A good fisherman of men keeps himself out of the picture. He hides his own presence, even his own shadow, and makes sure that the one they're fishing for sees Christ and not them. Perhaps Christ recognized these qualities in these men because they were fishermen. They made a living fishing. Maybe he noticed those. And so... Um, Commitment on Jesus' part to train them was necessary, huh? He, he just says to them, you follow me, and I will, I will. You know, will is a definite thing. I will make you fishers of men or people. Not, I might make, if you follow me, you might learn how to do this. No, 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 you follow me, and you will become a fisher of men. In spite of your weaknesses, in spite of the fact you may not have all those fishing qualities, he can still make you a fisher of men if you'll follow him. So, I love that he makes a commitment to train you in it. He's going to train these men how to fish. How did he train them? Let's take a look at that. It's interesting. We've taught in our history here, if you don't get trained in something, let me say this. I've used this line, probably, you probably all heard me say it before. If you don't have knowledge how to do something, what happens to you? I, I say you become paralyzed. You're not sure what to do, you, unless you're just really bold. You pretty much usually hunker down and think, okay, what, how, how do, which, which way do I go here? I'm not sure which way to go. So a lack of training, a lack of knowledge will paralyze you typically. So sometimes people aren't fishing because they've never been trained how to do it. You know, first of all, you've got to put your line in the water, not on the bank. Okay, but if you don't know how to fish, you just don't know. So that, that's one part of it. And we, we've, in the history of Valley Bible, we've taught several different ways to evangelize. We've done evangelism explosion. We've done um, the ABCs of, of, ev of evangelism. We've done uh, the um, Oikos method of evangelism. We've done tons of different ways of doing it. So, and, and we're going to continue to do that. Uh, I personally went through Evangelism Explosion probably, oh, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. Uh, Edwin and uh, Edwin Chandra and uh, Sean Giese were teaching that, and uh, I, I was just a new elder, and they were teaching in this method, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to go to that. And, and I knew how to present the gospel. I did. I knew how to do that. I'd, I'd led people to the Lord. But having that formula, having that training, man, what confidence that gave me. What confidence that gave me. And so, um, I, and, and then also, being around um, our, our senior pastor, Pastor Phil. You ever been with him? And uh, You ever introduced him to one of your friends? I introduced him to my neighbor one time. He goes, well, man, it's so good to meet you. Do you go to church? We want to take you to heaven with us. Do you know Jesus Christ? I'm like, man, I got to live next door to this guy. What are you doing? But I'm going to tell you what, once you know how to do the message, once you know how to uh, present the gospel with that formula, with that training that you need, my goodness.
goodness, I, I find myself doing that now. I went to Volleyball Madness. There's two young ladies that were saved that come from Vallejo. I'd never seen them before. I'm witnessing them. We want you to know our Savior. Da, da, and they go, well, the time out. We're already saved. <laughs> but I get that. I felt, I felt like I got that boldness by hanging out with people that, are, that know how to do it. Who are you hanging out with? Who are you hanging out with? Are you hanging out with someone that understands that part of their sanctification process is you have to evangelize? You can only grow so far in this Christian life without starting to evangelize some people. That was really convicting. But you don't just get up and say to everybody out there, okay, be fishers of men, go out, start fishing. You all go, like, you're crazy. We don't know what we're supposed to do. So we do provide training. We're going to continue to do that. But Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. I'll teach you how he, and, and he did. How did he do that? Well, how he trained his disciples, have you ever analyzed, have you ever thought about how, well, I'll make you fishers of men. How, how did he do that? I, I was looking at this the other night, and I'm like, they watched him. They were with him, and they saw what he did. Much like me watching Phil. Much like me watching Edwin. Much like me watching an Andre Sims. Or a Manny Fernandez. You ever been with Manny Fernandez? That guy, talk about an evangelist. He doesn't meet anybody that he doesn't lead him to the Lord, it doesn't seem like. And those of you who know him know that's true. They watched him. He didn't give them a bunch of lectures. They just watched what he did. That was a big part of my own training, like I said. Here's what they watched him do. And then this is the important part, and I'm almost done. I know that's hard to believe, but it's going to take me about three hours to get through this part. But this is the part. So here we are. Uh, number one, he made himself available. He made himself available. When you look at the life of Christ, um, he was always in an area where there were people all around him. He was always where the crowd was. He wasn't hiding. He did have to hide at times to get away to get some rest and to talk to his father. But most of the time he was, had people all around him. And they weren't just people from church. Huh? We like to hang out with people from church. You need to start hanging out with some people that don't go to church. All right. In fact, if you recall, they even accused him of that, didn't they? They said, you know, he's always hanging out with sinners. Yeah. And that's what he needed to be doing was being around sinners. That's what you need to do. Now, not so much that you get entangled with them, but enough. They're on, let me put it this way, and Pardon if you feel like this is disrespectful. I don't mean it that way. If they're on fire, don't bring more fire to them. Bring some water. Don't get in there where you catch on fire with them. You bring the water to them. You bring them a fresh drink of something they've never tasted before. Secondly, he had no favorites. He didn't run around with the fancy folks. He didn't run around with the rich. He didn't run around with the famous. 
He didn't run around with, you know, you hear people go, oh, if we could just get that guy to get saved, he could be so instrumental in leading people to the Lord. If we could just get Tom Cruise to forget about Scientology and come over to the Christology, oh, he could save lots of people. No, not about that. It's about you. It's about the individuals. It's not about one person. It's about all of us. We're all mandated to do this. Acts 1.8 doesn't say the famous and the rich are being the ones that do all my witnessing. All of you. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he didn't say only you apostles are going to do this. You're the famous ones. No. It was a mandate to everyone that you go and evangelize and disciple and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. So he was available and he had no favorites. The third thing I see about Jesus in his approach, he was totally sensitive. Has a sensitivity to his audience. He could identify someone whose heart was open to the gospel. Just like that. Can you? Are you paying attention enough, sensitivity enough to be able to observe when someone is open their heart is available to be talked to remember when in mark chapter 5 I, I love this story where christ is walking through the crowd once again he's in the right place and he's going through the crowd and people i mean the apostles are basically bodyguards at this point they're trying to help him get through the crowd and people are reaching, touching, and holding, and doing all these things. And they're pressing in on him. He could hardly move. He was just crushed. He was in. But the Bible, in that chapter, he says, then he turned around and said, who touched me? Who touched me? Now, if I'm one of the apostles, I'm saying, what, are you crazy? What do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. But he had a sensitivity that somebody who believed, someone who had faith, had just touched him. Someone that wanted to believe in him, that said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. Not even him. She didn't even touch him. She touched the hem of his garment. And it said that the power went out of him to her, and he said, who touched me? Sensitivity. Knowing. Someone had touched him. She had that issue of blood, as you know, and he just knew she had a sensitive heart. He called the woman out of that crowd. He healed the woman's issue. She had been 14 years or 17 years, I remember the exact amount of time, trying to stop the blood, seeing physicians and men. She'd been seen by all kinds. What do you have today? You have Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and you have Muslims and you have all kinds that people are trying to figure out. If I could just do that, then everything about my life would change. If I could just do the Jehovah's Witness thing, my life would change. If I could become a Mormon, my life would change. If I could believe in Allah, my life would change. You know what they found out? Their life doesn't change. If they could just touch the hem of the garment of Jesus Christ, he could change them forever. 
Now, the problem is he's not here anymore. There's no garment to touch. You're the garment. You have become the garment. If you could just tell them about Christ, if they could just reach back and say, I want to know more about this thing that you're talking about. Does Christ change people? Yes, he does, and he uses you as the witness to do it. You are the fishers of men. He was sensitive. You need to be sensitive when you talk to people. He was available. He had no favorites. He was sensitive. And he wanted public confession. Isn't that what we do at baptism? We say, you're publicly saying, I'm following Christ. He saved me. He changed me. I'm going to follow him. Another thing about Jesus, he used love and tenderness. Not, well, you're going to hell if you don't believe. That's all I can say. I'm out. Peace out. It's not what he did. It's not who he was. It's not who you should be. Look at John chapter 8, and you'll see that love and tenderness. We must go through Samaria. You don't go through there. We don't go that direction. Yeah, we must. What about Mary Magdalene? What about all the times in Matthew? For example, in Matthew 8, do you know what? Jesus reached out and he actually touched a leper. Love and tenderness. You don't touch lepers in that day. Christ touched them. He had a tenderness, a concern, a love for sinners. And the last thing he did was he always took time. He always gave his time to the people. For three years, these men walked around with him and saw him do this. During the process, he started to send them out in twos. And they'd come back. And he'd send them out again, and they'd come back and report. And he'd send them out again, and they'd come back and report. And he'd send them out again. And finally, he left and sent them out the final time. But you know what? They say that evangelism is not taught. It's caught. What the disciples did was they caught how to do this from Christ himself. So there's what, it was a three-year training ground, and finally he felt they could go on their own, and they did, and the church was born out of what they did. Amen? So they learned, he trained them, and that's our desire at Valley here is that you be trained and know how to share your faith, that you might be able to, what if, I want to ask that question. He trained them. We, we could hire a man to do visitation. And to go out and evangelize our entire community, he would be worn completely out if he did. But we could hire a guy and say, well, we fulfilled that. We fulfilled that. We, we've, we've taken care of that. We, we've got Edwin. Edwin's the guy, oh, he's the evangelist in our group. We've got it covered. 
Yeah, right. That's not the command that I see. You know, what if we did this instead? What if we hired a man or if we supported a man to train and teach others how to do evangelism? This is that classic thing of you can give people fish or you can teach them to fish. We want to teach you how to fish around here. What's the message? It's a simple message. But the simple message is that Christ died for your sins. Christ came to the earth. He's the only sacrifice that could be given that would please the Father. He came to the earth. He ministered here. He taught these men how to evangelize the world. He wants to teach you the same thing. We want to teach you the same thing. But he did that, and then he died on a cross, a brutal death, not for anything he had done. He was a spotless lamb, a spotless sacrifice. But he died for every sin that you will ever commit or that you've already committed. Then he was buried, and three days later he rose. He's alive today. He ascended in front of over 500 witnesses. They watched him go back to the heavens. The growth of the body of Christ is dependent upon you being a fisher of men. That's how God designed it. He designed it for us to be the ones that forward that message. I'll leave you with this, and I've asked them to come back and sing a song, and then we'll be concluded. Final statement. I've, I've said it before. You'll probably hear me say it again, and I hope that it haunts you the way it has haunted me since I heard the line, and I'll be thankful to Tim McNeil for sharing that, E.K. Bailey, but what are you doing today? Are you following him? If you're following him, you're either fishing or you're preparing to fish. You're learning how to fish. If you're not fishing today, I'm afraid you're probably not following him. If you're not fishing, you're not following him. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Now this morning, I want you to hear the words of this song once again. Because you might be here this morning, you might have been coming to Valley a long time. And you know the message of salvation. You know about Christ. But you've never placed your faith in him. You've never said, I put my trust in this and this alone. Not this, not Christ died for me, was buried and resurrected, and I placed my faith in it, and now i got to do some things. No, 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 no. Just trust in his work on a cross all by itself. Oh, this morning... If you haven't, I'd be wrong not to fish for you this morning. I got to go fishing. I got to tell you, he's worth everything. You want to know why you live, why you're here? This is the reason. You'll never live life more fuller than knowing him. I promise you that. Oh, I plead with you this morning. I beg and I plead with you. You look.
look it up, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 and 19. I have the right to beg and plead you this morning. Oh, would you be reconciled to the Heavenly Father by placing your faith in Jesus Christ this morning? Would you do it? Don't leave here this morning without making that decision. Don't leave this morning without making that decision. Valley Bible won't get you to heaven. Being a member here doesn't get you to heaven. Knowing Jesus Christ gets you to heaven. That's what I want for you this morning. More than anything, I would love to take you to heaven with us. More than anything. Listen to the song.